Welcome to the Opera Biz Podcast, uncut and unfiltered, where we hang out with opera professionals and talk about life inside the industry. I'm your host, Daniel Welch. Well, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Thank you. Chat a little bit. Absolutely. Um, you're, you're one of those people that I'm glad to have on the show because you're so multifaceted and are in so many <laughs> different directions, whether it's you know, world premieres at Minnesota Opera or it's yes. teaching your students at Queens College. Oh, my God. Um, but, you know, let's, I always like to go back and find a little bit about yeah. the musical history yeah. of my guests, if they're, especially if they're singers. Absolutely. You know, um, and uh, just real briefly, kind of like how, how did opera find you? Because opera is such a yes. niche thing. Absolutely. Without sounding like Rose Nyland, I'm going to sound like Rose Nyland. <laughs> this one time back in Brevard, North Carolina, where I was from, I come from a very musical family. Uh-huh. And usually if you go below the Mason-Dixon line and you say the Mills family, my name will pop up or my aunt or my mom. Mm-hmm. And so I was in music growing up from an early age. And I remember being in concert band with Dr. Palmer. I remember being in, um, and I also did not get into concert band at the audition in fifth grade. And my cousin Karkita did. And I remember being jealous of Kita <laughs> because that meant she got a brand new clarinet. And if she's listening to this, she probably is going to be cracking up because <laughs> of this clarinet. Yeah, I'm going back, man. And all of a sudden, I ended up joining concert choir. I remember being in chorale, which was the younger choir, but all of a sudden, Mrs. Shoemate, who is one of her and Dr. Palmer are two of the most influential people in my, my life as a beginning, and Mr. Leatherwood as well, uh, growing up. But Ms. Shoemate talked me into auditioning <laughs> for Oklahoma. Nice. And I played Fred, and I had one line, four bits. That was my line. Yeah, man. And so... You got to start somewhere. Indeed. <laughs> and so I was in that, but I also got into concert choir. And one time, Miss Shoemate came in the class and was like, folks, we're going to take a field trip to Bob Jones University. Okay. To see the opera. Now, I was already interested in classical music because yeah. I was in concert choir. And back then, during the 90s, we sang shit down. Oh, wait a minute. Can I curse? Yeah. I'm sorry. We used to sing shit down, baby. We used to sing all kinds of hard stuff. So I was like, yeah, I'm going. Yeah. But we had to have like permission slips and this and that and the other. And I didn't know what Bob Jones University was about at that time. Mm-hmm. So maybe the permission slip was so that a black kid could come on campus at Bob Jones University. I don't know. Yeah. And Miss Shoemate, if you're listening, call in and, and tell us. <laughs> so <laughs> we go and this hall was amazing it was huge i remember sitting under the mezzanine and i remember the aida was um a woman who was asian there was an american omneris the tenor was caucasian there was a african-american uh amonasro and i just remember seeing so many different people on the stage I remember seeing live elephants. They had the whole Greenville Zoo wow. at Bob Jones University at this. And I remember my cousin Kayla was with me and Ben Talcott. And we were all there. And I, we were all just like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And that was the first opera I saw. 
that's a hell of an introductory opera. Yeah. Like, good God. You know, and we miss Shoemate because she had a bus license. And we used to always, like, make fun of Miss Shoemate. One time she hit a cow because we were going to Conesty Falls. And she hit a cow. And so she drove down from Brevard to Greenville on a bus. We were on a bus. And she drove. Of course she did. <laughs> and we went to the opera. We went to the opera, man. And that was the first opera I saw. And even now, to this day, if I have a chance to go see Aida, I go. Yeah. And I remember seeing Aida with Miss Shoemate and my classmates yeah. in 11th grade. At so, so you right off the bat said, after seeing that, walked out, was like, I want to do that? Specifically, it was the opening of the fourth act when uh-huh. Malin Fritz <clears throat> sang the Omniris scene. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Doing it's this. It's on. Nice. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That last high note that she's saying, and I don't ever know whatever happened to her. But I'm sure she's somewhere singing it in some remote part of the world still. But yeah, man. Yeah. That fourth act, that was I was like, oh, it's on. Yeah. And we it was right around the time we had like uh honors chorus. Yeah. Like all state chorus and things like that. So we were hype. Yeah. We went oh, yeah. into those auditions hype. And maybe that's what, what Were you doing did. individual voice lessons already at that point in time? I was. I was studying with Dr. Fortney, Julie Fortney at um, uh, Mars Hill College. And I remember she was helping me. That was back during the time when we had to start preparing senior projects, yeah. exit projects. And mine was going to be uh, a recital. Yeah. And I remember Mrs. Shoemate and uh, my cousin Curtis, God rest his soul. And Joan Yarborough, uh, and who was a pianist for my recital, and Dr. Fortney helped me get ready for my senior project. And yeah. so I, I was having formal lessons. I played the Cowardly Lion in 10th grade. So it had to have been between 10th and 12th grade. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And Dr. Fortney is how I ended up at UNC Greensboro. Okay. Studying with Mrs. Scott because she knew... Mrs. Scott from National Association of Teachers for singing. Gotcha. So what was your what was your first opera role? My first opera role. <laughs> I love this. My first opera role was when I went down to UNCG, I had been studying with Mrs. Scott, who is still the mother. Uh-huh. We call her the Queen Mother, and she is still the person who I call when Anybody that's ever done me wrong, Miss Scott knows who they are. Uh huh. She is still my Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And David Holly, I love this man, cast me as Zarastro in Magic Flute. Uh-huh. That's a good first role. Uh huh. And I remember that production because we were all chess pieces. Oh. And the stage was set up as a big chess piece. And yeah. obviously the queen was dressed in black and I was dressed in white. And I had this big Queen Latifah hat that kind of went up like the original <laughs> Queen Latifah, yep. the one from Jersey. Yep. And um, I had this big old white tunic that I got to wear. And, and that's where I was at the time in my training. You know, um, I was working in that middle area, that middle register of my voice. And I was singing bass baritone stuff. Mm. So it was perfect for me at the time. We did it in English. I do remember that. Yeah. And I remember Miss Scott saying, you know, eventually your voice is going to settle in, Sydney, and the voice is going to move up one day and you'll do what Mother Nature needs you to do. <laughs> but for now, we are going to sing bass baritone repertoire. That, that's my Miss Scott 
impression. <laughs> which kind of sounds like Leontine Price. L- which kind of sounds L- like Grace Bunbury. <laughs> and we'll just leave that there. There you go. Um, but yeah, man, that was my first big role that I did. And, and um, that was my sophomore year, I believe. The, the freshman year, I sang Mercury in um, Offenbach's... Um, What's the opera called? Um, na, 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 na. Oh, Orpheus and the Underworld. There we go. Yep. And I had rollerblades on when I came in. Yep. I sure did. And Aaron Folk. Aaron, if you're listening to this, Aaron Folk did my makeup. <laughs> yep. Aaron Folk did my makeup. That was oh, the, fun. The joys of uh, undergrad productions. Oh, my God. Makeup yes. and costumes. And... Up until then, my best friend Anna, who had her birthday yesterday, Anna Pascali, she used to do my makeup for all of the high school productions. Yep. Nice. Yep. But, yeah, the first big role I did was um, Zarastro, and then I did Melchior. Mm. I think maybe that next semester, because we alternated years for um, Amal and the Night Visitors. So I, I, I had a whole bunch of stuff at UNCG that I did role-wise. Nice. We used to go in. And I, I mean, I think UNCG still goes in. We used to do operas. Yeah. 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 We did maybe like the second or third production ever of Little Women. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. I remember that. And what else did we do? I did a co- my first cozy there. Um Oh, we did. David Holly was not afraid. And also, we had the singers for it. Yeah. We had the singers for it. Well, I mean, if you've got the singers for it, and then you've got uh, a director that is not afraid to break out of the mold. David Holly ain't afraid of nothing. He ain't afraid of nothing. man would have staged the ring cycle if he had the singers. (laughs) I love him. Tough to do an undergrad. (laughs) Yeah. He would have done it, though. He would have found a way. (laughs) He would have found a way. (laughs) So where did uh, where was the transition after uh, UNC? So after I finished UNCG, I was auditioned for a whole bunch of schools, and I at first I wanted to go to uh, Curtis. Mm-hmm. That didn't work out, but I did make the finals, and I met some great friends there. That was the first time I ever met uh, Karen Slack there. She was going to school by then, and who else was there? Uh, oh, I auditioned with Valerie Ogbanaya. Now she's a lawyer. Um, but I ended up going to Juilliard, and that's where I was supposed to be. Arlene, was, it, was it right after undergrad? Or did you have yep. like a I went straight on back through because Arlene Shrutt had started coming to UNCG to coach. Oh, okay. Because she knew I David and some other teachers down there, and so I was coach with Arlene here and there, and Andrew Harley. They knew each other, and so uh, Arlene was like, "Hey, kid, you know you should come have a lesson with Steve Smith at Juilliard," and so I did. You know, I didn't think anything of it. You right. know, I was like, whatever, I'm going to New York. Yeah. And so I flew up here and, and went over to Uncle Archie's house right up the street from where we are now. And he and Rona, his wife, took me down to Juilliard to audition. And I went and I just sang like I sang at home, mm-hmm. you know, at UNCG, you know, because at that time, you know, I was young enough to think that I was the best in the world. Right. You know, and so I walked in with that confidence. It wasn't an arrogance, but if there was one thing Mrs. Scott taught me and still teaches me is how to be confident in what I'm bringing to the table to yeah. contribute. Yeah. And so I went in, you know, I was like, <laughs> is this where I stand? And they were like, yeah. I said, but the light is over there, you know. <laughs> so I moved to the light <laughs> and I sang. 
and I remember it. I sang Howard Swanson's The Negro Speaks of Rivers. Mm -hmm. And then I sang O Du Mein Holde Abendstern. And those were the two pieces I sang. And then I waited out in the lobby. This is the old lobby when we used to have Milstein Plaza. And that was the first time I met Coradina Caporello because I went and spoke to her afterwards. And she asked me, she said, I would like for you to sing Bella si come un angelo. And so I did. And then I left. I gave her a hug and I left. And I forgot about the audition. I went back to North Carolina because we were preparing Cozy. Uh. I think we were preparing Cozy. And so I didn't know my recits. So that was the that's what I was thinking about. And all of a sudden, this big old manila package came. And I found out that I had gotten into Juilliard. And my friend Laura Poe, who is an alumna of Juilliard and the MET program, she had gotten in too. So it was a double treat because not only could I move to New York, but I could move to New York and um, there would be somebody my age that I knew going yeah. into that new setting. So yeah. that was fun. <clears throat> Great times, man. So, I mean, so you intentionally moved to New York for opera and mm -hmm. education and you've stayed. And I've stayed. What are your thoughts on New York as an opera hub in these modern times? I mean, the yeah. Met was always iconic through, yeah. you know, this late mid to late 20th century golden era of opera for yeah. sure. But, um, you know, you've, you've stuck around here mm -hmm. to continue doing what you're doing. Yeah. Why? Well, I think that my team is here yeah. for one thing. My managers and my coaches and my teachers and things like that. And I've kind of assembled a team mm -hmm. around my specific need as an artist. Mm -hmm. and, and my mentors, you know, Warren Jones is one of my biggest mentors. There is not one thing that I have sung in the past 10 years that I hadn't run by him. Mm -hmm. Does this suck? Or what do you think I could do better? You yeah. know? And, and, and so for me personally, my team, my cabinet is here yeah. in New York. You know? And there's so many opportunities in New York. Growing up in New York musically, quote unquote, has been fascinating because I had more opportunities than a lot of people that I'm so grateful for. One of the biggest opportunities I had thinking, as you can see the wheels turning, <laughs> was being in the choir at Riverside Church. Okay. My Riverside family is a big deal to me. I learned how to sing in a large space mm. at Riverside Church. Mm -hmm. Ironically, I learned to sing in the same choir chancel and lectern that the likes of Lantine Price had sat in. In fact, I sit in the same seat that she sat in. Nice. <laughs> and, you know, to stand in the same lectern that Dr. Forbes preached in. Yeah. You know, and, oh, I got to call him back. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, oops. Sorry, Dr. Forbes. I'll call you. Um, Nelson Mandela, Dr. King. You know, Dr. Butler is there now. I've seen these people speak here and and speak from that, that space and 
feel that the need like that and to see my friend Chris play the organ in that manner. And I learned how to sing in that, that space, man. Mm-hmm. I learned volumes at Juilliard. Yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I learned volumes at Juilliard. But man, you know, there's nothing like getting up and going and standing in the middle of the labyrinth at the Riverside Church on a Sunday morning mm-hmm. and having Dr. Forbes standing to your right and, you know, maybe you'll have Mariah Britton standing to your left with her afro, God rest her soul, and Chris Johnson saying, okay, I want you to sing movement three of the Brahms Requiem. Yeah. You know, and then to take that and then to take it back down to the lab at Juilliard mm-hmm. and say, okay, Steve, this went well. Okay, Arlene, this went well. This is what I was doing, you know, here. Yeah. You know, um, I remember coaching my first Beethoven 9 with Brian Zeger and Gary Wido. Yeah. You know, and then I went and sang it at Riverside, Riverside. <laughs> before I went to go off and sing it somewhere else in the world. Yeah. Wherever. I think it was at Harvard. The Harvard Glee Club did it. And that was the first time I ever did the Beethoven 9. But I had sang it in the nave at Riverside, that yeah. solo, before I got, of course. Yeah. You know, and I still do that from time to time. I'll go up there and, and it's interesting. Um, I'm going to start taking my students up there now to start that process. You know, um, I stuck around, partly because I, I don't like moving. It's just so tiring. And just, I can get behind that. <laughs> yeah. All the shenanigans, man. I just, ugh. I just want to jump off the East River Bridge, you know, but I'm here and I stuck around and, and I'm glad I did because this is where, where I need to be. You know, you mentioned the team. I love the, t- I love the fact that you use the term your cabinet. Yeah. And you've mentioned that in text messages before, but we yeah. got to have a cabinet meeting. Absolutely. I love that. There are so few singers that I see, uh, up and coming singers, young artists, who have that perspective of surrounding themselves with a key yeah. set of individuals, not just one, not just the voice yeah. teacher, a key not just set the coach, of invi- yes. but a set of individuals, yes. a team mm-hmm. that you can, that they each have their specific voice and their specific mm-hmm. job. Yes. Um, but you can bounce this off of this person or mm-hmm. this concept off of this person or yes. this publicity stuff off of so-and-so. And, yes. Um, Absolutely. Because that's more of a that's more of a business mindset. Yes. To being a singer. Yes. Which is which is obviously for people who are not listening to this podcast for the first time know yes. that I'm huge on this. Of course. Um, that being an opera singer is a is a substantial business yes. that you are the point of, and if you yes. have management, they're working for you. Absolutely. Um, and uh, you know whoever else whoever's on that team is working for your career. Indeed. With your career in mind. Yes. You're not just paying them just because. Yeah. There's a point. We have a we have a purpose. We have a mutual purpose around this table where everybody is an expert in their area. And we are trying to bring these ideas together for one collective purpose. And so my thought process is and I love my management. Yeah. I am like Anna and Sean and Nora, like they literally, in some cases, keep me propped up. Yeah. In the words of Kathy Griffin, they keep, <laughs> they keep me propped up, you know, um, and have just continually, I feel like everybody needs a David Axelrod or a David Plouffe. And I feel like Sean and Anna are like my David Axelrod and David Plouffe, yeah. you know, and, and they just, they get it. They get me. They get my humor. They get my meticulous 
Virgo isms. Yep. And they they process it. <laughs> they process it and they just, you know, they just let me be great. <laughs> they they shift me every now and then if they think I'm gonna ride off just the cliff. A little, yes, just right. a just nudge. A little, just steer it a little this way, yep. a little that way. You know, and, and, and that's a big thing because this industry can this industry can steal you. Mm. Mm-hmm. It can steal you if you are not cognizant about what your purpose is and and what you're trying to achieve, you know, and and if you don't believe that you don't have something to say. And my mama and daddy and my family in general always raised me to be somebody. Mm-hmm. And and I'm so grateful for that and and nowadays as a professor I find myself saying some of the same things in the same voice as my dad. <laughs> I not find necessarily myself... a bad thing. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I catch myself every now uh-huh. and then, especially when I get frustrated and I go, now look, that's my dad. Yeah. <laughs> I point my right hand and I, raise, I roll my neck. You know, that's my dad, you know, or if I just throw my hands, you know, up in the air, that's my mom. She doesn't say anything. She just throws her hands in there. I don't got gestures. time for this. And she just keeps moving forward, you know. How did you put together this team of advocates for your career? Because that's, yeah. that's what a Absolutely. team like this is. Yeah. Because rather than just having a voice teacher that you're, that's working Indeed. on your rep and Indeed. they're helping you know what sounds good in your yes. voice and that kind of thing, when you have a... a a team like you have, they are advocates for your career. They Indeed. are people who are going to talk about you and on yes. your behalf. Yes. Uh, how did you assemble that, the group that you have now? I yes. mean, I assume there's a lot of trial and error. I was going to say it's a lot of trial and error. And, you know, from the start when I was in college, Mrs. Scott really instilled in us the idea that you have to have a team and a group of people who act in your best interest with the voice being at the top. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah The yeah. voice being at the top. And based on where you are vocally and in your artistic journey, these people surround that, that cabinet is a part of that to enhance that and, and have that, be able to capitalize on that. Mm-hmm. And let your voice grow. I always say. What are the job? No, go ahead. Well, I was, I was, I was gonna say. I always say that I was lucky enough to where I always, in my opinion, have had the best. Yeah. When it came to my education, so I call myself privileged in that idea that I've never had a bad teacher. Ever. Yeah. I've never had a bad coach. I've never worked with someone with whom I was like, oof okay, I need to let this person go from my team in that capacity. Yeah. So, and then when Obama came onto the scene, I was like, oh, well, let's see how Obama, you know, assembles his cabinet, you know? Yeah. So really it's an idea that was stolen from somebody like Obama to say, oh, he put that person in charge. Oh, he put Warren Buffett. Okay, of course. You, yeah, you put Warren Buffett in charge of the money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I start looking at that type of a thing and and doing that and uh, interesting thing that I love you know I love TV so I started watching my life on the D list 
<laughs> and I love Kathy Griffin. Anybody that knows me that listens to your podcast is going to say, oh, shit, here we go. Here's, he's going to start talking. Jesus Christ on the cross, Kathleen. He's going to start talking about Kathy. You know, and I was watching my life on the D-list, and I watched how she did that as well. Yeah. I watched how Kathy assembled her team, mm. Team Griffin, mm-hmm. you know, when she got the Grammy nomination, and she called on Tom and Jessica to come in with her mom and call people and tell them to vote for her. And let me tell you something. If I'm ever nominated for a Grammy, don't think I won't have you and my mom and my granny and everybody at Riverside calling everybody from Shaka Khan to Little Richard, tell them to vote for me. Yeah. You know, and I was like, yeah, this is I see what she's doing there. And it was a joke kind of probably for her show. Maybe it wasn't because, I mean, she's Kathy Griffin. Yeah. And I was like, I want to do that, too. You know, I want to assemble. I want to. And then I looked at all these resources that I had as a Juilliard student. Yeah. Well, damn, I'm already working with this team of people. I'm already working with Reed Woodhouse. I'm already working with Arlene Shrek. I'm already working with Howard Watkins. I'm already working with I got this team. Yeah. Why don't I just start working? You know, Jocelyn Duick. I'm already working with a great linguist, Mr. Grubb, yeah. who I love and adore. Yeah. <laughs> and anytime I want to pick a piece apart, I'll just go over to his house and he'll gladly pick it apart. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm grateful for that. And so it's, it's, it's like, um, you know, it's like, it's like playing with chess pieces off of the chessboard. <laughs> they each look different. But you know they have a particular job. Yes. And you have them kind of all spread over the place. But what mm-hmm. you did is you took all of them and you put them on the chessboard. I put them on the chessboard. And made them your team. Yes. Which it's easy, especially when you're in grad school, yes. to be like, oh, well, I'm working with this person regularly. I'm working with mm-hmm. this. But it's a different thing to make it a combined effort. Indeed. So that everybody is working on your behalf. Yes. And you can continue those relationships after you've graduated, yes. after you've moved on. It is, a, it is the ultimate collaboration. Yeah. It is the ultimate collaboration, and, and, and that's what I learned at Juilliard and UNCG, was how to collaborate. Yeah. How to work with other instrumentalists and <clears> other <throat> singers in a collaborative way to create something amazing. Yeah. You know? So I know that the, there, I know right off the top of my head, there's five people right now who are going to be like, if I don't ask this question, I'm going to get slapped. What are those positions on your team that you feel always need to be there? Mm-hmm. And you don't need to name the names. Nope. But like, what are those positions? What are the, I know know you've got management. Yes. And I know within that management team, there are people who do different things. Uh Yeah. Yes. Um, But what else is there? Well, I have someone with whom I work with on my languages. Mm -hmm. You know, I work a lot on languages because, you know, English is my first language and, you know, I don't speak any other languages like completely fluently. Right. You know, and so... If I can get my languages lined up with my technique in a way that is promoting beautiful singing, mm-hmm. then I am well on my way. So yeah. I always have someone with, that I can speak to about the language, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what's happening in there. Um, I have someone with whom I talk to about my money, mm-hmm. like an accountant. Yep. And that might go to the top of the list next to the voice yeah, <laughs> and then the money, you know, because you sing so many different places. And as you start getting more work, you're paying taxes in different places. And you're yeah. like, damn, did I go there? Yeah. Hold on. Let me call Chase. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You yeah. know, oh, I guess I did, you know. And so 
I, I definitely have somebody that I talk to about my money and taxes and things like that. Um, because if that's one thing you learn from the hip hop world, you know, I mean, TLC was the largest selling yeah. girl group of the 90s and had nothing to show for it. Yeah. Quote. Yeah. That's what Left Eye said. She's like, we are the biggest selling girl group in the world and we have nothing to show for it. Yeah. You know, and so, I mean, you pick up things like that. You know, I look at how Tony Braxton went through financial troubles and things like that. She came out of it, mm -hmm. you know, and that's great. But, you know, those things you can learn from that. And so um, that's a big thing. Um, obviously, the music is up at the top there. I have somebody that I just talk to, you know, uh, vent to, you mm -hmm. know. Um, I love to call Dr. Forbes and just talk and vent. Um, Karen McVoy, you know. Um, Karen and is, uh, I call her mother. She's my godmother. But her and my Aunt Makia, who is another aunt by choice, sing in the choir at Riverside. And, you know, I can always call them and, and chat and vent and, you know, because if I call my Aunt Makia late enough, she'll be ready for bed and she'll forget everything I say. <laughs> and I never have to worry about her repeating it. <laughs> it's the truth. There's a strategy to these Absolutely. Calls. You know, and my mom, too. My, I'm very tight with my mom and my, my dad, you know. And so it's good to have that, that inner circle where you can, you, you have people to talk to and you know, if you need to go get a therapist, go get your therapist. I ain't there yet. Yeah. But as a New Yorker, we all got a therapist, so right. get into it. Yeah. You know, but uh, but this is an this is an emotional industry. It is. We wear our heart on our sleeve. Yeah. My heart is sitting on my sleeve right now. Yeah. You know, um, even just you you bring up questions about where I come from and my artistic journey, and my heart is so much on my sleeve because when I think about those people that helped me. My heart is so full. Yeah. My heart is so full. I've been so lucky. I remember, what was it, 2011? The apartment that I stayed in with my roommate, Freddie, it had bed bugs. Cool. But we also won't post to be down there anyway. Freddie, remember that? Because <laughs> I know he'll be listening to this. And so, but we stayed there. You know, we stayed there. It was fine. But we eventually had to leave because... You know, they had bed bugs. And so the city was like, well, you're not supposed to be down here anyway. So I didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. And I remember Karen and Rick, her husband Rick, let me live with them. Well, almost up to a year mm. out in Long Island in Glen Cove. They got four kids and them. So we were packed up in that thing like sardines, but they let me live with them. And, and I'm so grateful for that. You know, I'm so grateful for, for the people, those roots under the trees, mm -hmm. you know, and Karen will probably be mad that I brought this up. Rick will definitely be mad, you know, you know, but those roots under the tree and you only see maybe one or two branches up top, but you got all these roots under the bottom. And so, you know, my thought is, is I'm just been really lucky, really blessed, really grateful. You know, I remember, Dr. Forbes helped me with paying for school, mm -hmm. you know, paying for my doctorate degree and things like that, you know. And so you do have to have that team. Uh, that inner circle, though, is paramount in yeah. this industry because <clears throat> um, not everybody that smiles in your face at rehearsal is re really uh, uh, your friend. Yeah. And I'm very outgoing and 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 carefree and you know silly 
And so it can be easy for me to get attached in that way. Yeah. But you live and you learn <clears throat> as you get older, you know, uh, at its core, I believe people are great. I yeah. believe people, we humans are wonderful people and we're meant to love it. Yeah. We got one job, love, yeah. love one another. I mean, damn, that's a, he gave us one damn job. Right. <laughs> you know, one job, Donald. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's the hand. There's the hand. There you gave is. me the hand. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. Oh, oh, you can call me Patty Lupone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she cussed him out oh, at the Oscars. You know, great. but, um, you know, uh, having that inner circle, having those people that you can talk to about your finances, having those people that you can talk to about those musical things, you know, keep your mind stable. Mm. Keep your How heart. did you, um, you've had, you had, you've been, work, you've worked with multiple managers. Yes. Multiple agents over the years. Yeah. Well, uh, I've only had, I've only ever had two. You've had two. Yeah. And, and how did you, this has been a huge topic of conversation of course, recently. Absolutely. Um, how did you go after your management, or did they find you? Well, in one case, because I was, uh, back in my day, we called it a Maryland horn baby, because you go to Mar uh, Music Academy of the West, and you're considered a Maryland horn baby. And, uh, or maybe they don't. Maybe that's just something my friend Avid Williams made up. I don't know. And now it's coined, and now it's going to perpetuate. Yeah, it's a Maryland horn baby. Hashtag Maryland horn baby. <laughs> and I remember meeting Matthew Epstein and some other people from going to Music Academy. In fact, that's how I met Warren. Mm. And Miss Horn, you know, hello, you know. And so we did like this little master class for Matthew Epstein. So he's known me most of my adult life from like the start of my adult life to yeah. now. And so he's followed me and followed my career, just like Miss Horn and some other people. And I remember he put me in touch with Angela Blasi, who took his spot at Columbia Artist Management. And I worked with her for a little bit over a year, maybe two even, I don't know. And I loved working with Angela. Uh, she was fabulous, she got me. She really pushed hard for me. And so uh, she ended up leaving the company, you know, and that's fine. And I wor worked with another manager there. And it was fine for a bit, you know, and, and we decided to part ways for um, artistic purposes and yeah. financial purposes. It, sometimes things don't work out. That's right. Nobody died. Yep. And, and no shade, no yeah. love lost, you know, it's all good, you know, I ain't beefing with nobody, you know, this ain't, you know, this ain't the Breakfast Club, this ain't, you know, <laughs> World Star, nothing like that, you know, wish people well and, and just know that sometimes things don't work out. Yeah. And I ended up where, I I'll always end up where I'm supposed to be. That's the thing about my life. My dad said that, too, because I used to want to go to Florida State University to study with Yvonne Chanella, but I didn't get in. Yeah. And my dad always used to say, Sydney, you will end up where you are supposed to be. Yeah. And I ended up at UNCG. I ended up at Juilliard, but I wanted to go to Curtis, remember? Yeah. And, and I always ended up where I was supposed to be. And I feel like everything that happened with my first management situation set me up and prepared me to know who the fuck I was so that whenever it was time for me to have that meeting in the situation room with Anna and Sean and her team, their mm -hmm. team, that I knew who I was to describe to them what I was going to need from them as yeah. a company. Yeah. And they were, because I was so specific, I hope I was specific enough 
Of course I was because they're they're working for me. They yeah. know me. Yeah. If there's two people that don't know me any better on this island, it's Sean and Anna. Yeah. You know, so of course they know me. Um, I was able to tell them what I need. And based on the specifics of what I needed, they were able to say yes mm. or no, we're not able to help you. Yeah. 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 And we also know how we are going to run this quote unquote campaign. Right. Based on the file that you've given us about yeah. yourself. So, you know, um, I like that you, you had, had going in there with details. You have to rather than guys, I, I want to sing in big houses yeah. and I need management. Like I said, this industry will steal you. Yeah. If you do not know who you are and as a person and as an artist and you know, as a human being and these types of things like this, it is very easy to get knocked off of your balance in this industry because usually there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on. There's a lot that's expected of us. And the bar is ever changing in our industry. Yeah. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. And, And we as a community will come together and like we normally do and figure out what works best for us as a community of singers mm-hmm. and try to hopefully call David Fry at Agma and, and see if he can't help us. Right. You know, <laughs> and I love David Fry. He used to fix my Mac computer for me back when I was at Juilliard because he used to work at the Mac store. Nice. Yeah. He's like, Sydney, I'll, I'll help you uh, set up your iPod. This was back when the iPod had the gray screen. And so, because it was a big thing. iPods came out when I was at Juilliard. And so, David Fry used to fix all my Mac stuff. And I need him to fix my Mac, my, my watch. I'm saying that on here now because I'm going to send this to him. Um, <laughs> he's going to roll his eyes. But yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those situations where, you know, but once again, man, my, my whole world from when I was a kid to this point has been about preparing for this moment that I'm in now. Yeah. So it's funny. I look at I look at you in a couple of different lights as we have this conversation because you have your team, mm-hmm. you have your cabinet, but at the same time, I know that you are a key member of the cabinet of some other people. Well, you, yeah. You have you have some particular students. Yeah. And my babies. Friends who. You are on their cabinet. Yes, absolutely. Um, as somebody who has come before yep. them, and yeah, so I mean, so you're you're teaching at Queens College. Yep, and um, Copeland School of Music. And how do you balance that life of being a professor and a performer? Most of the time, I feel you, like Bernie Sa- Bernie Mac in his <laughs> show, The Bernie Mac Show. Yeah. Most of the time, I feel like Uncle Bernie when he's trying to take care of those three kids: Jordan, Vanessa, and um, uh, Brianna. You know, and then go be Bernie Mac as well. Yeah. You know, and like I said, I watch a lot of TV. I'm reading a lot lately, but I watch, I used to watch a lot of TV and I knew that series inside and out. And it was always interesting because when you got into the second and third season, Uncle Bernie had found his stride of how to be organized to be Bernie Mac when he needed to be and to be Uncle Bernie when he needed to be. And I found the, out how he did it, he was organized to the point of being ahead of schedule. Yeah. He was organized to the point of being ahead of schedule so that when he needed to be Bernie Mac 
everything that had to do with Brianna, Jordan, and, and Vanessa was already taken care of. Yeah. Yes, I am making a relation to a TV show that has not been in syndication now for, what, 10 years? At least. <laughs> God rest his soul. Thank you, Uncle Bernie. And so I find myself doing that with my students a lot, uh, trying to be well ahead of the schedule with, with their specific needs mm -hmm. so that whenever it's time for Sydney to be Sydney Outlaw, the singer, I can do that and know that Carlos is going to be okay because yeah. he's well ahead of where he should be. Yeah. Or Deborah, I don't need to worry about Deborah because she is well ahead by two months yeah. of what she needs to be. So by the time she needs me again, yeah. I'll be there because I set her ahead two months. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And I will do it. Yeah. Um, I am definitely the speaker of the house in the studio. Yeah. And, you know, I will slam the gavel. And if I have to pull you dragging and screaming to get this work done, we will get it done. And you will understand in a month why I wanted you to have it done early. Yeah. Because I know they're listening. So to this you, right now. you can, you have the ability to bring into the conversation real life what's in the industry right now. Indeed. Because you're in it. Yes. To your students. Because one of my biggest pet peeves in the scholastic realm of singing is when the teachers, coaches, or the heads of the program haven't been part of the industry in 30 years. Yep. And they're like, it's like this. And you're like, it hasn't been like that in 15 to yep. 20. Absolutely. Um, what, can you think of anything off the top of your head that you are, advice you're giving them that you're applying to your own careers, mm -hmm. career um, along the way as a singer in this yes. 21st century? Easy. And I said it today. I said it today to TJ in his lesson. Do not let the internet and social media rush you. <laughs> I you like that. You have more time than you think you do. Do not let likes and tweets and anybody else rush your artistic journey. Mm. Professor Outlaw will shoot to the moon <laughs> because that was a big thing. I mean, even when I was growing up, you know, oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to do that. Oh, I got to do the Met auditions. Oh, I got to do this competition and that and the other. When really, all I needed to worry about was being a good singer mm -hmm. and making a little progress each time I opened my mouth to sing. Yeah. Now, looking back on that at 37, that's what I would tell myself is, Sydney, just chill the fuck out. Yeah. I'll talk like Trina Braxton. Just chill the fuck eight. You know, Tony Braxton says to Trina, eight, chill eight. You know, you have more time than you think you do. And I'm glad that none of my coaches and teachers rushed me because now my voice, she's settling in to be who she's going to be, you know, mm -hmm. and she's settling in in a healthy way and she's a well-oiled instrument and 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 I I know my voice. I know how she moves. I know how she I know the curve in the legato line whenever I'm going to sing something and if I want to turn to the right, I know exactly how to turn that voice to get her to do what I want her to do. 
and she'll ease in that thing like a Cadillac Fleetwood that your grandmama drives, <laughs> you know. And, and I got time. Yeah. I still have time, you know. Yeah. Um, I have little deadlines of things that I'm working on, but I'm, I'm preparing. There's a difference between a real deadline Yes. and... Some Virgonian deadline that I put on myself. A psychological deadline yes. that you feel is imposed by Absolutely. God knows what sources. But, you know, it's funny yes. because... You know, for somebody who teaches social media, I, I constantly push the importance of the importance of social media and how it can perpetuate the industry. It can help you as an artist yes. and how it's a, it's a legitimate tool yes. that we never thought was going to end up being a legitimate tool. Absolutely. But I, I like remember when I saying, signed up for Facebook. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember, I remember yep. my first, I remember my first MySpace account. I was account, living in 2604B you know. at Juilliard. Yeah. It's it's a it's a real thing that is necessary for our careers, but the same things that we see not in the music world, but mm-hmm. just in the quote unquote civilian world of yeah. say Instagram, the term that everybody throws around FOMO, that fear of missing out. Oh yeah. Is a real thing. Oh yeah. When you are an artist. Yep. Um trying to put yourself out there because you see so many mm-hmm. people who are, well, this person's already singing for this yep. and this person's singing for that. Yep. Well, that person already did these competitions and or I, they sang for this program I or had, they have this management. I had that thought process and, and that goes back to my whole Kathy Griffin thing that I yeah. loved because I also read her book yeah. and she talked about when she was teaching improv at the Learning Annex and, and, and to be able to see Tracy Morgan passed her and Steve Carell passed her and Tina Fey and all these people were going out on Saturday Night Live doing this. And Kathy was in her book saying that she was still (laughs) doing comedy shows in the strip club in the back or in the casino, you know, this and that and the other, you know, and she just stayed the course. Yeah. She just stayed the course. And I was like, oh, my God, fuck, if I can just stay the course. Yeah. If I can just stay the course. I have my team here. I'll just stay the course, you know, and, and yeah, so-and-so may pass me up and they may get that opportunity, but as long as we're not nuked, oh, wait a minute, can I say that? As long sure. as we're not nuked and they, <laughs> they don't blow that upper company sky high because our government officials can't get along, I'm trying, I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to go there, you know, then there's still a chance if I stay the course They'll call and Anna will send me some crazy email at 5.30 in the morning. And I'll be like, yep, bada boom, bada bing, bada pow. And then next thing you know, I'm being interviewed by Oprah on the OWN Network. Yeah. You know, and so I, you know, I, I pull from people like Kathy Griffin. I pull from, you know, people like Oprah and all, Tyler Perry, who was homeless. And now he's doing, you know, that's inspiring to me. Yeah. You know, I pull from things from Michelle Obama's book, you know, and things like that, you know. And, and I think like that. We have this mindset as singers um, that we always try and emulate our stars. Yes. And which is not necessarily a bad thing when, when it comes to looking up to other professionals. Yes. But, but your journey is your journey. Exactly. Just as everybody preaches, sing with your voice. Yep. Your journey is your journey. Your journey is your journey. Yep. And it can't, you can't be anybody it's, else. It's there's funny there's not going to be another Sydney Outlaw out there. It's funny you say that because like... My stepdad, who is really my dad, I call him my dad, you know, my mom remarried whenever I was younger and I grew up with two dads and my mom. So I never got away with Jack. Yeah. I could never get away with anything. But the main, and even today, because I woke up crunchy 
and my people points were low. Mm -hmm. And my stepdad texts me every morning to say good morning and this and that and the other. And I was talking about the weather. And he always talks to me about adjusting, adjusting or being flexible. And once you make your adjustment, move forward, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. move forward, you know. So I woke up with an attitude, which yeah. is rare, but I woke up, I woke up with an attitude. And, you know, I was crunchy on the phone with him and bitching. And he said, listen, just adjust, be flexible and move forward. And I think that way career wise, too. Yeah. You know, OK, cool. This is where I am right now. This is what I'm doing. Fine. Mm -hmm. Are they paying me? OK, praise God. Mm -hmm. Let me take my check. Let me let me deposit my check before 11 or midnight so that it'll oh, it'll, it'll, clear. Re, it'll clear at midnight. <laughs> That's what they say at Chase. And I believe that to be true. Yeah. So as long as my check clears at Mr. J.P. Morgan's bank, you know, then, you know, OK, cool. Now I did this right here. This was a stepping stone. I adjusted and I'm going to move forward. No, yeah. it ain't the Met. But you know what? I'm also not doing something that I didn't want to do with my whole life. Right. There are people out there that aren't living their best lives, right. you know? And so, yeah, you know, life for me right now, definitely right now for me, is about being flexible and about being spontaneous because I never know what any of my students are going through. Yeah. And they are a big priority to me to make sure that their head stays clear. Mm -hmm so that I can have their undivided attention to teach them how to sing. Yeah. And then artistically making sure that they had more than what I had scholastically. Because I had a lot. Yeah. I had a lot. Privileged. Yeah. Like crazy. I had a lot. Very blessed. But I really want them to have more than what I had. So for me, you know, to answer your question, it's really about being flexible and adjusting and moving forward in that way collaboratively. When you need help, you ask for it. But always bring something to the table so that whomever you're going to ask to help you doesn't have to do carry the whole load. Mm. You know, have something. Scott always used to say, Sydney, have something to bring to the table. Always have something to bring to the table. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, ma'am. Fine. You know, have something to bring to the table. Absolutely. You know, bring a bottle of wine. Shit. Yeah. Something. Bring something Anything. to the table. Yeah. You know, and so I try to do that and I try to tell my kids, teach my kids how to do that so that when it's their time, they are ready. I want for them so much to just be prepared. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. I want them to be prepared and have all of the tools that they need in order to be prepared. I don't want them to need me eventually for being prepared. Either. Yeah. 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 I just zoned out a minute. Sorry about that. No, that's, no, I was almost thinking out loud. But it's good that you, you were right on. <laughs> Sorry. You were right there. No. <laughs> You're absolutely right there. Because if, you, if, you, if they're prepared in the right way, yeah. you can set them on autopilot. Yep. And trust that, you know, just like yep. just like parenting. Yes. You know, I could you can only teach yep. your kids so much and then once yep. they're out of the house they do what they do. Yep. And you can only hope that you raise them up right. I hope that I send raise them along you right. their way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I know you gotta go in a couple minutes, but talk to me a little bit about 
what you're working on performance-wise right now. Yeah, man. I'm headed Sunday to Minneapolis again to my new home away from home with the good pe- people at the Minnesota Opera. Mm-hmm. Very excited about that. And we're doing a world premiere of an opera called The Fix uh, based on the 1920 baseball scandal. Uh, a wonderful composer by the name of Professor Joel Puckett who wrote it. And it's just going to be this enormous cast. My friend Jasmine Habersham is going to be in it. I'm glad to work with her again. We debuted at Minnesota Opera together nice. in Fellow Travelers. And come Sunday, shenanigans will ensue Excellent. because Jasmine and I are silly every time we get together. Hopefully we <laughs> don't get arrested or anything. Fingers crossed. Hello. <laughs> you know, um, and I hope if we do that Anna has a great lawyer. Well, <laughs> Again, why you have this team. That's why you have your team. <laughs> yes, that's exactly why you have your team. And I hope that their lawyer is better than other people's lawyers that gets on the news and talks. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'll be out there until March, and I'll probably teach uh, via FaceTime with my yeah. students back here. But I also taught over winter break for my students. Mm-hmm. So everybody has what they're doing this semester. And they got a month and a half start on it. Nice. So we, while other students are just getting into the flow of things, my kids have been working already for a month. Yeah. And they better continue to be working. I know they're listening. They better, they better be continue be <laughs> be to be working while I'm away. Uh-huh. You know, uh, hopefully they will go see Shinyi and Adam during their regular lesson time. <clears throat> <clears throat> Lorenzo, <laughs> TJ. Deborah, I ain't really got to worry about Deborah. Pablo, get your butt into your lesson time. Call him you know. straight out of the podcast. I show him. I, I show like him, it. and I ask the community to help me keep my kids in line, because it takes a village, sir. Yes, 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 indeed. it does. If you see my child out acting crazy on the street, you stop him and you pop him upside his head and you ask him, "Is Professor Allah gonna like this?" Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I know they're all blushing and going crazy. Of course right they now. are. One hundred percent. I don't care, Lorenzo. <laughs> you hear me? I'm speaking into the mic. Um, but I digress. Now nah, I'm just kidding. They're really good, good, good kids, and not even kids, young artists. That's yeah. what they are. Yeah. And and I joke around with them, but I'm able to joke around with them because they always have their ch- together. Yeah. You know. Um, but I'll do that and teach them uh, via FaceTime and and. Come back and get re- ready for a senior recital and a master's recital and hopefully have some good news for some auditions and for some of my students, you know. Um, I'm auditioning still a little bit, but thank God, not too much anymore, you yeah. know. I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm at that point in my life where now I don't audition as much anymore, but I will. I'm okay with it and happy to do it. Yeah. Um, especially if it's for something specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll do that. And then I'm doing Lyric Fest down mm-hmm. in Philly, premiering some new pieces. I love doing world premiere pieces. Excellent. Uh, and then I have a little bit of time off before heading back to Minneapolis to do Cozy with Mill City Opera. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to San Francisco. All right. The San Francisco treat. And I get to perform with my good buddy, Kenny Overton, who everybody says we look alike. <laughs> so that will be interesting to see how that goes over. Um, we're doing Billy Budd. I'm singing the first mate in that. Excellent. And I'm excited to do that. And Kennedy Center debut this winter with Sir Andrew Davis. Wonderful. uh, You know, I'm just, 
juggling and and adjusting and doing my thing, man. Being flexible. Being flexible. Being like flexible. It. I'm happy. I'm happy and and you know, um, waiting for 2020. Yeah. You, do, you like how I did that? You like how I did that? A lot of us are. <laughs> We're all waiting for 2020. We're close. We're all waiting for 2020, and and you know it's never too late for impeachment. And oh wait, can I say that? <laughs> it's never too. It's never. Maxine Waters, who I love, anybody knows me knows I love Maxine Waters. It's never too late for impeachment, and, and uh, yeah, we won't get into what happens if impeachment happens. No, though. we won't. That's we'll turn the mics off for that. There but, you go. Yes, I, I'm just chilling, man. I'm I'm it's happy good. and grateful, and and just and busy, busy. <laughs> Yeah, and if I'm busy, then I don't gain weight because I don't sit around the house and watch reruns of the Golden Girls and eat. Who am I lying to? You know my move. You know that's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to go home tonight and cook dinner and watch the daggum Golden Girls. So I'm I'm going to go to Rigoletto, but when I get back, I will probably order Seamless and (laughs) be up until 3 a.m. Yes, absolutely. Yep. So wake up tomorrow and do it all over again. Exactly. I was happy to do this. Thanks so much for uh, sharing your wisdom and We'll have to do a round two. Listen, we need to do round year. two. Yeah, for sure. Maybe you can come observe me learn how to throw a baseball when you come there to Minneapolis. <laughs> Either way, I will be there for the fix. I will be there. Be, I mean, they're going to put me in a padded room. <laughs> just throw this. Just, just throw it. Yeah. I look like Wayman Harrington from A Low Down Dirty Shame. For more information about today's guest, visit our website at operabizpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show with two interview episodes and two social media sound bites each month. You can find me directly on Instagram at the Beard and Lens, and the podcast Instagram is at Opera Biz. Thanks for listening to the Opera Biz podcast.